I really loved JLo. Like back to your original, like JLo and Shakira. I was like, wow. And everyone made such a big deal out of JLo's round hips at the time. I mean, now it's sort of like, everyone's like, okay, whatever, who cares? But at the time, it was so sensational Mm -hmm. for her to show up, for her to wear tight jeans. Or I remember when she wore, uh, there was like a Versace dress that kind of came all the... It was like a big V in the front. And like you could kind of see her figure in the back. Like she really made waves around that. So I, growing up, really looked up to them as like Mm -hmm. someone who looked like me. So to your original point, I'm going to be 45 next week at the time of this recording. And so I still like J-Lo is still someone who I look up to. Like she's 50, whatever she is, and she looks just fabulous. And Mm -hmm. I also want to be a role model for the women who are coming up behind me and to redefine what it means to age well. Hey there, queens. I have a question for you. Have you thought of how your menstruation cycle plays a role in your energetic output for the month? Well, today's episode, we are diving into all things hormonal balance, your menstruation cycle, and how to utilize that to your advantage every single month. And I'm so excited that we are braving hormones, our Betty body, our workouts that is solely accustomed to where we are in our cycles and so much more. And welcome to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Nita. And if you are brand new, I just want to be the first to welcome you to your oasis, your destination to be all things a little bit more brave. And I have with me today the one and only Dr. Stephanie Estima, who, by the way, I am just loving, I'm loving her vibe. I'm loving that she is just embracing all things aging gracefully and everything that goes along with. I mean, she is like my spirit animal right now. If you do not know who she is, she is the founder of Hello Betty, a community centered around female empowerment through health and business coaching. She's a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. You don't really find that all too often. She is the host of The Better Podcast with Dr. Stephanie, featuring the world's leading voices on health and wellness. As the creator of her signature female-centric ketogenic protocol, the Estima Diet, Dr. Stephanie has helped over 10,000 women worldwide regulate hormones, reduce adiposity, and get off medications in the perimenopause stage and beyond. Following the success of the Estima Diet, Dr. Stephanie released a best-selling book, The Betty Body, where she shares her proven strategies to help women jumpstart and calibrate their metabolism, revive their libidos, rest guilt-free, and elevate their emotional well-being. All the things that I love, which is why you are going to get so much out of this juicy episode. Now, her mission is to inspire women on a global scale to be the best versions of themselves, both physically and emotionally, through the power of easy, accessible female health education. And let's face it, women are not little men and should not be taught and should be taught about their unique physiology. So this episode, we get into the nitty gritty and we both come from immigrant backgrounds. And I've known Stephanie for many, many years now, and I'm so, so excited you all get to learn from her. She is such a wealth of information. And we get into how our female physiologies differ and how to actually utilize our cycles. And if you are the men listening, how to actually support your partners during those times of the month so that they can 
have more energy, have more output, and do all of the things that they want to do. And there is so, so much more in this episode. I cannot wait for you to dive in, so let's just get into it. This week, we are welcoming Dr. Stephanie Estima to The Brave Table. Dr. Stephanie, hello, queen. Finally. (laughs) Welcome. Finally, we're here. Yes, I'm delighted to be here. We've been talking about this for a while, and I'm very happy that we are making this happen. Well, what I love about us and what I love about you is growing up, there was nobody that like, I feel like that looked like us that's like doing the thing and all of the ways. And you went to traditional medicine and so did I in many ways, dentistry, and you're in it still. But you're like, you've evolved in such a way where now I feel like it's sexy to know about all things well-being and all things like, you know, getting into the juiciness of where we're at in the stage of life that we're at. So I wanted you to be the one to pour into our community. So tell us all about how did you actually make that transition into all of the things that you are loving now? Oh, good question. Yeah. So as you said, you know, my undergraduate degree, very, you know, neuroscience and psychology. So had a love affair with all things, brain metabolism, neurology, neuroscience, all of that. And then chose my professional career to continue that love in chiropractic school. So I'm a doctor of chiropractic with... And obviously, you know, when you think about a chiropractor, a lot of people think, you know, back pain. And of course, that's true. We're very good at getting rid of pain, but pain is a brain-based phenomenon. So when we are increasing or decreasing signaling up to the brain, we can do that through joints, we can do that through muscles, we can do that through posture, we can do that through rehab. So chiropractic was a really natural choice for me. Have always been kind of a health nut. So the way that I paid for my tuition in school was by teaching step. Anyone that remembers the step, that was that I was the step queen. I was the I step didn't know teacher. that. <laughs> so I would wake up at like five or six in the morning. I would teach like two back to backs, like, you know, for my 5 a.m. steps. And then I would do like a kickboxing or a typo at the time it was like really big if anyone remembers typo. And then, and then there was like, yeah, so we would do like a typo and then I'd do a step and then I'd like, you know, tail it over to classes, being classes, you know, usually it was a 12 hour day, like eight to, you know, eight with labs and stuff. And then I would do it again the next day. So part of the way that I was able to actually pay for the hefty tuition at the time was through fitness. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of cardio that I did. I will say with like a little bit of pride that they had to start issuing a ticket system for my step class because people were trying to sneak in. There was like, we had gone over capacity of the room. So I used to have to have the manager, she'd be like, do you get your ticket for Stephanie's class? So we had, it was a thing. Like I was like, I was really into step. Okay. So yeah. Oh yeah, so that's how I, you know, my traditional schooling is is chiropractic, which is of course the study of the neuromusculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect complement to my undergrad and just my general love for movement and how body mechanics and physiology how we're designed to move and live. And in practice was very much like I'll say like a vanilla type of chiropractor like practicing like everyone. I'm more of a pistachio kind of gal, but when I came pistachio, out of got it. But when I came out of school, I was just practicing exactly what I had been taught by my teachers, you know, Mm -hmm. and like the techniques that I had been taught, etc. But as I was 
you know, couple years in, I started noticing differences between men and women. I started just intuitively without any background asking and like kind of getting an understanding of where women were in their cycle. And that would alter the way that I would, let's say, adjust them that day if I knew that there was a lot of... Like if they were, you know, and we'll talk about the menstrual cycle hopefully today, but... Let's get into that, love. Like, what did you notice? Because obviously, I've known you for a very long time and I've always appreciated your work. I've always loved you and you know that. And I think that for the work that you've been able to dive into and teaching us all about our own menstrual cycle and how you've actually created programs around this, like school us all because I didn't start tracking until I wanted to have kids. So... I know a lot of us don't start doing that until they want to have kids. So talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, essentially for a woman, she goes through several stages, let's say, in her... There's like a different hormonal arc all the way through her life. Obviously, there's a time before she is menstruating. You know, she has her first period or something like her first period, somewhere around 12 or 13 years old. And then from about 12 or 13 or the date of her first period, she is going to be in her reproductive years where we want to be optimizing for fertility. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means today as well. And then somewhere around her mid 30s, we start to see some changes in the concentration of and release and the ability to generate certain sex hormones, progesterone being one of them. And then as we get into our 40s, we enter into what many people will call perimenopause, which is the years prior to the cessation of your menstrual cycle. So a lot of women will report things like hot flashes, mood changes, weight gain, things that were working in their 20s are no longer working in their 40s or 50s, and then also seeing changes in the cycle as well. In the average age of onset of menopause is like 51 or 52. So there's about... From the time of about 35 to 52, so we're talking about, you know, call it 15 or so years, there's this perimenopausal time, which is not insignificant, right? Like a lot of women are having children during that time. In my case, I had had children before the age of 35, but many women, I've had counseled many women who've been pregnant in their late 30s, into their 40s, etc. So understanding some of those changes is very, very important. So when you are in your reproductive years, up until and including perimenopause, there are week by week changes in the concentration of hormones that our brain and our ovaries are kind of working together to produce. And back of the envelope kind of five minute summary is obviously the first week. Everybody knows it, right? We're bleeding. That's like our bleed week. So you will usually bleed somewhere between the average is like three to six days. And when we're thinking about like, you know, what constitutes a good bleed week, we definitely don't want there to be a lot of clotting. Like some clotting in the blood is okay. I don't know how much detail you want. Is it okay? Girl, that I'm getting you can go. Yeah, yeah. Let's okay, we're some people like, brain oh my table. God. We're educating everyone. We're braving it. All right. So this... We're so, braving it to love our periods, right? Amazing. All right. I love that because some people are like, oh my God, did she just say clot? It's like, yes. I talk about <laughs> clots. I talk about... <laughs> All the things, right? So some clotting is okay. But if you think about, you know, if you imagine like the size of, let's say a dime or mm-hmm. a nickel, we don't yeah. want like the clots to be kind of larger than a dime, right? Because what to, would like, that mean? Usually what that indicates is that there's been some, let's say, distortion in the balance between estrogen and progesterone in the second half mm-hmm. of the cycle. So if there's too much clotting, it usually means that there's been too much unopposed estrogen. And then a woman who might experience a lot of those clots 
like right before she bleeds, might experience a lot of premenstrual symptoms. So like the tender breasts or kind of feeling like they're putting on a lot of water. Like a, a big one is like, do your rings fit? Like a lot of times, like they can't get their rings on because they're holding okay. a lot of water. They might find that there's a lot of sleep changes, moodiness, irritability, some of which is considered normal, but kind of extreme when it's impacting like their activities of daily life where they have to take medication in order to work or they need to take time off work or they have migraines or headaches prior to the onset of their cycle usually means that there is something going awry with estrogen. Okay, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of bleed week. Then when you stop bleeding, we move into the second week of the cycle where you haven't ovulated yet, meaning an ovulation just means that you've released the egg from the follicle. Mm -hmm. And that whole second week is a very interesting week from a neurological perspective, but also from a hormonal one as well. We have testosterone rising, estrogen is rising. So when I said before, I would kind of ask where a woman is in her cycle. If she was kind of like day 7 to 12 of her cycle, I would not adjust her the same way that I would any other time in the cycle because estrogen, meaning I would make the adjustments a bit gentler because the Mm. ligaments, estrogen has sort of an effect on ligaments that kind of makes them a bit looser, like a little bit more loosey-goosey, like not as tight. So if you're too aggressive, let's say for my chiropractors who are listening like I used to kind of call myself like I'm a bone moving bitch like if you if you are being adjusted by me there are bones that are going to move but for that particular week it would be like I would soften it up right it would be like I would use an instrument or I'd use mobilization or I'd use like some other technique other than my hands let's say and so Oof. we have testosterone and estrogen rising this is where a lot of women tend to feel their best in terms of like they feel like more extroverted, they're happier. When we see Mm -hmm. estrogen rising, we see things like, you know, the skin is like nice and dewy and glowy and the eyes are really white and like the lips are a little bit more full. You know, it's kind of like natural, you know, sort of Botox and filler. The natural glow. So that's like around the ovulation day. So 7 to 12. And okay, so because you're also the queen of all of these different ways to exercise and move our body. And I know on your IG, you've been talking about that a lot in terms of like our energetic output for those times would be different than the rest of the month. And would our workouts be different and the same for that week as well? Or would that be changing? Yeah, fabulous question. Yeah, so in my book, it's called The Betty Body, which I named after my fans who... My podcast is... I also have a podcast like you, fellow podcaster. It's called Better. And then my fans of Better are Bettys. So the name... Oh, I love that. Betty. So good. Betty Body. Obviously. The Betty Bodies. So to create the Betty Body, what we were talking about was actually altering the way that you eat and the way that you train all the way through the cycle to be able to adapt to that hormonal milieu, like that ever-changing kind of hormonal landscape. So to your point... In that bleed week, a lot of times what I would recommend, so I'm, you know, we were talking about this before the, the recording started, like I'm a big fan of lifting weights. So I will state my bias for the record. Like I think Pilates is great. I think cardio is good in moderation. But if you are thinking about aging well, even if you don't care about aging well, you just want to look good naked, you know, like it's resistance training that's going to get you there primarily. And then you can add on the cardio, add on the Pilates for the flexibility and the proprioception and stuff. But I will you know, state my bias before the conversation starts that I do think that resistance training should be the foundation of any movement program. So in a bleed week, let's say, like for some women, like the first day, you know, they're kind of crampy or, you know, maybe they're feeling a little lethargic. Mm -hmm. So 
maybe they can, you know, take a day off and do a lot of walking. Cause again, like thinking about what happens when you're walking, like the sacrum is kind of doing this beautiful figure eight. There's like a massaging of the joints that's happening. So it can help to be more of like a pain reliever, especially for women who feel like a lot of, you know, tension and pain yep. in the low back and hips and knees and stuff when they start bleeding. Mm-hmm. But once that kind of passes, I love moderate weights in bleed week. So for me, moderate means eight to 12. Okay. And I'll, I'll say with a caveat, you should be lifting heavy all the time, but it's just the, the how many repetitions you do are going to mm-hmm. change. So in bleed week, eight to 12. So when I say eight to 12, you should be able to punch out eight repetitions of any given exercise. Let's say it's a lunge or it's a bicep curl or it's a pull down or whatever. And like number eight, right? When you get Mm -hmm. to like the eighth rep, it should be so heavy that if you were asked to do one more, it would be very difficult to punch out one or two more. Oh, wow. Okay. And are you doing the same muscle groups every day or are you switching that out too? I switch. So I currently I'm I'm training five days a week. I do a three upper and then two lower. And then my three upper, I'll have like a back day and then I'll have a shoulder day and then I'll have a like a a push day. So like a chest and and biceps. And then legs is just two of the same. Like, you know, you when you're doing things like squats and hip thrusters and deadlifts, like you can certainly target extensor or flexor muscles, but you're just going to hit them all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And for those of you who haven't been following Dr. Stephanie on IG, you definitely should because I mean, like your transformation has been just so wild and you're looking so freaking amazing. And we'll tell everybody what your background is as well, because I know we were talking about this before we hit record, but I think that's really great to know of the bodies that we also are seeing to, you know, to now shift this idea of lifting weights and like the myths behind it. Yeah. I think before we hit record, we were talking, I was saying to you that when I was growing up, the only person that I ever felt kind of looked like me was Shakira. So my background is I'm, you know, born in in Canada. So, you know, Canada is my country of birth, but my father came from Portugal and then my mother's family is from Lebanon. So being Portuguese and Lebanese, and certainly like if you're watching this on video, like I certainly don't look Canadian. Like you wouldn't be like, you know what she looks like? She looks like she's from Canada. Like <laughs> like the Canadians, oh. you know, a typical Canadians, like kind of blonde and blue eyed and... She's brown. Yeah. She's like, she's, yeah, I'm Indian, right? I'm like, I'm like, I have Middle Eastern blood. So certainly don't present Canadian. We'll say it like that. Even though very proud uh, to be here and very grateful to be in country. But yeah. So when I was growing up, you know, it was like the Kate Mosses for me, right? It was like, and Kate Moss, you know, English kind of the second iteration of Twiggy, if you will, like Mm -hmm. very thin, you know, not a lot of hips, not a lot of butt to speak of, you know, doesn't like the thigh gap. Like I remember that actually being a really big deal. Do you have a thigh gap? And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, unless my my legs are apart, I have a thigh (laughs) gap, but they're together. (laughs) The legs aren't going to be, you know, together. I would be doing like plie if you ever did ballet, like, you know, plie to kind of like open the legs legs a little bit to have a little bit of that thigh gap. But why was thigh gaps even a thing? (laughs) I don't even know. And and we're actually, unfortunately, so I've been talking a little bit more about this now, we're actually seeing kind of a return to that. Again, I admire, you know, the Kardashians for their kind of freedom, let's say in like body, you know, pushing different body types, like they kind of made the big booty and kind of curvy voluptuous figure 
very much in vogue. But now we're seeing, or at least there's speculation, certainly with the two sisters, Kim and I believe it's Chloe, with their kind of rapid weight loss that they have been you know, using weight loss drugs off-label because they're certainly not obese. Like, you know, some of these weight loss drugs are for the management of type 2 diabetes and for an obesity, which are very complex diseases, but using those as a weight loss tool. So we've seen kind of Kim, at least, very rapid, very sudden weight loss. There's been some speculation that she's removed or like had a reduction in either her breast implants. Mm-hmm. And I'm not her doctor. I don't know if she's had any of these things. Don't send like, <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah, all don't. speculation, right? That she's had a reduction in some of the cosmetic procedures that she may mm-hmm. have engaged in. And so now, and I remember there was, a, I think it was the New York Post had like a heroin chic is back. I am vehemently opposed to this because I remember growing up as a kind of a dark girl, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of more like, I mean, exotic looking, yeah, Yeah. exotic looking, like not kind of, you know, native to my country. I mean, let's just call it out where it's at because you and I both got like, oh, you look exotic. Like, what what does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) That's so funny. That was the word. It was like the polite. I mean, I have no problem with the word exotic. Like, I think it's you know, I, I do think that's a, a beautiful word, but it was almost like a curiosity, like, where are you from? Like, where are you from? Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. belong here. Like, you don't look like the locals. Yeah, where <laughs> you're so exotic looking. Yeah. So anyway, I have sons, but I know that as a mother, and maybe you have the same sentiment, I feel like because I, I am privileged to be a mother and, you know, I have that protective instinct around my sons, I also sort of expand that beyond just my kin. And I don't want our beautiful daughters to grow up with this idea that they have to look because Kim Kardashian, whether or not she's an icon, people look up to her. She's people say, what, I mean, what is however, she doing? I want to do what she's doing. Like, right. I love her makeup. I want to look like her, you know? So right. we sort of attach ourselves to what can I do to look like her? And mm. we know I've heard reports reports of obesity clinics running out of the drugs for the patients who do have type 2 diabetes, who do have obesity because there's been such a, we'll say, frothing at the mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> around the demand for some of these like semaglutide injections that I'm talking about. Ozempic is kind of the big drug that's sort of making its rounds now. So for me, yes. I really loved JLo. Like back to your original, like JLo and Shakira, I was like, wow. And everyone made such a big deal out of JLo's round hips at the time. I mean, now it's sort of like, everyone's like, okay, whatever, who cares? But at the time, it was so sensational Mm -hmm. for her to show up, for her to wear tight jeans. Or I remember when she wore, uh, there was like a Versace dress that kind of came all the... It was like a big V in the front. And like you could kind of see the, you know, her figure in the back. Like she really made waves around that. So I, growing up, really looked up to them as like Mm -hmm. someone who looked like me. So to your original point, you know, I'm going to be 45 next week at the time of this recording. I still like JLo is still someone who I look up to. Like she's 50, whatever she is, and she looks just fabulous. And Mm -hmm. I also want to be a role model for the women who are coming up behind me and to redefine what it means to age well. And part of that is being empowered to understand how we are uniquely different from our male counterparts, right? So as much as I love men, I have sons, I'm raising young men, and I will always advocate for men's health and for their autonomy and for, you know, testosterone is not a toxin, James Cameron, you know, like all of these, you know, right. silly, <laughs> silly things that we see, right? They like need I'm, testosterone. 
Yeah, we need testosterone. And also, like, just as a side note, Avatar producer recently just came out and he was talking about how when he was young, he was very angry and, you know, he really feels like testosterone is this toxin. It's like, well, also, just like side note, this is the most dominant sex hormone in women, too. So, if it's the, if it's something that men need to work out, do women need to work it out too? Because a lot of people, like, what are you suggesting here exactly? Which is why we never want to listen to Hollywood for taking, you know, advice in terms of what to do. It's so beautiful that we have you because honestly, like you have been, and I'm so glad to, you know, have really brought this conversation here to the Brave Table because yeah, this ideal that we have that we need to, you know, be this certain way, yet... I know that, and and you've been talking about this a lot in terms of like the different stages of life that we're in. And for you to be, you know, and I, our, our other dear friend, Gabrielle, is also talking about, you know, this a whole building muscle yet, and also kind of making sure that it's within the parameters of like our cycle. So take us through, because I know you have the Betty Body book, which I want everybody listening needs to have this. This is going to be two years of Dr. Stephanie's work out in the field with her book. And it's going to be that two-year anniversary. So go ahead and get Betty Body. And I mean, I, I love the cover of it and everything, but take us through. So what is that intersection then between your workouts that now you're teaching everyone to own you know, their version of this. And I, it's almost sounds like it's even this empowerment for that as well. Yeah. So I think that this is, you know, a continuation of our conversation. Like, this is why I, I want women to not be afraid of taking up more space. So putting on muscle, like to this kind of idea of like, we're going to just get as skinny as we possibly can. And we're going to get as tiny as we possibly can. Like, I actually want the opposite message. Like, I always remember when I was, you know, back when I would take the subway, you know, if I would ever sit beside a guy, like he would just like spread his legs and kind of, you know, like, like spread out on the chair. And I'll be like, Oh my gosh, I, I can't touch him. You know, like, I would just be like trying to get as small as possible. And and I actually would love the opposite. I would love for women to feel comfortable taking up space, becoming really strong, and putting on muscle as a means to not only age well, you know, aesthetically, you're going to look great, you're going to feel great. Some of those menopausal symptoms that uh, so many women can play, like the hot flashes, the sleep, the mood changes, all of like the anxiety, all of those things can really be quelled by putting on more lean muscle mass, having more muscle. And there's so many uh, benefits to it. Like the primary one, the way I like to typically say it is that you're a much more efficient glucose disposal agent, meaning that you can actually take blood sugar from the bloodstream. And if you have more muscles, your muscles will gobble that up so that you are not working as hard. Like your pancreas is not working as hard, let's say, to release insulin into the system. So as we age, we naturally become more insulin resistant. Putting on more muscle is a way to slow and even reverse that process. And of course, for me, from a neurological perspective, like my never-ending love of neuroscience in the brain, every time we are lifting weights and challenging ourselves enough to break down the muscle tissue, you are also initiating a whole bunch of growth factors, not only in the muscle locally, but systemically as well. So we also know that the brain is one of the things we want to protect against as we age is loss in brain volume, right? So of course... Uh, lifting helps to protect that. And it all, I mean, there's so many other things that it does. Like there's immune system benefits and mood benefits. Like there's never been a workout that I've regretted doing. Like maybe I didn't feel like doing it before, but then after I'm finished, I'm like, damn, I'm so much 
happier now that I've done it. So I think that these are really important considerations for women who are aging or who want to age well, that we are considering putting on more muscle mass because this is a it's one of the ways that we, you know, we contribute to our health span, which is, or I should say our, our lifespan, which is how many years we live, and our health span, which is of the years that we live, how many of those are spent healthy. Oh, it's and it's so true. I feel like I was reading a meme the other day or I saw a meme on Instagram where it was like lifting weights is like spandex for your soul or something like that <laughs> because it's yes. really like you shrink in some ways but you're also you're voluptuous where you know you have like the right amount of curves that we all really want. Maybe we won't need the spandex then or the... And there's so much pride in knowing you know, for me, I tend to skew more to like more of like a type A kind of like all or nothing sort of personality. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's really beautiful when you can start to gamify like how strong can I actually get? And that's not something you can ever get in a pill. Like, you know, you can lose a lot of weight on some of these, you know, weight loss drugs. And if you're obese or you have, you know, some pathology like type 2 diabetes, those interventions are absolutely well-deserved and well-warranted. But you're not going to create confidence from taking a pill. You're going to create the confidence from building a physique because building a, a physique that you love, like an hourglass figure, like you were saying, takes time. You have to do it when you don't feel like it. And I think that the reward, it's like delayed gratification. So when you do start to finally see some of those changes, there's so much pride because you know, you're like, I've been working on this body for like four months and now I'm starting, like I can see a little bit of shoulder. Like I'm really loving that. And there's a certain pride that you will not get anywhere else except for getting uncomfortable and lifting heavy weights in the gym. Mm. Okay, I feel like, yes, we can definitely keep talking about this all day because I love this so much. We are celebrating you and this book. And now you're also going in and you have a certification out. Tell us a little bit more about that because I mean, I think it's definitely cutting edge of what other people are even needing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So I am teaching now health coaches, health professionals, chiropractors, medical doctors, naturopaths, even if you don't have any letters behind your name, if you're just a budding health coach and you want to help women, we do run a certification program now. It's called the Estima Certification Program. And it's 20 weeks and it's really designed to give you the science behind female physiology, how we're different fundamentally, physically, anatomically, physiologically different from men. And then most importantly, from a clinical perspective, how to structure programs for your female clients that integrates nutrition, that integrates fitness, that integrates stress management. And then we also go through a lot of the different types of hormonal issues that women tend to run into. So, you know, for example, PCOS, one of the most common hormonal derangements worldwide. The last numbers I looked at were like 100 million women who are dealing with I mean, that's a number, right? 100 million women worldwide have PCOS, endometriosis. We also talk quite extensively about in the course, Hashimoto's thyroiditis and just hypothyroid and you know, autoimmunity in general because these are diseases and disease states that affect women at a far higher frequency than they do our male counterparts. And that's not to say that our beautiful men don't need care, but I think far too long, at least in the medical system and how many stories I hear this a week where women are like, it took me seven years. I think the average time to get a diagnosis of endometriosis is seven years. 
Like imagine mm-hmm. like you're going to your doctor, like something's not right. I feel like there's shrapnels that are exploding in my womb every month. Like my period is terrible. I feel awful. And the doctor keeps telling you like all your tests are normal. And it's, it's cramps. It's just, it's just cramps. It must be, it's just cramps. It's like part of being a woman or it's part of getting older. You know, it's part of aging. I hear that a lot as well with perimenopausal women. It's like, you know, they'll start to like have sleep disturbances or they'll start to have more anxiety or their periods become irregular. And like I had a, it was, I think it was last month, I had a woman who was 49 and she had just come back from speaking to her physician and the physician had offered her the birth control pill. And I was like, how dare he? <laughs> like she's 40. Effing nine. You know, what does she need the birth control? Like she, like she had already had, you know, like her children. I don't fault this medical doctor because this medical doctor is doing the best that he can with the training that he has. In the same way that when I first started, when I was first out in practice, I I kind of joked and I said, like, I was like a vanilla doctor, right? I was just doing the best because I was doing exactly what my teachers had taught me and with the information, the paradigm that I had. And he was was vanilla too, basically. Yeah. I mean, he was trying his best. He just doesn't know any better, right? Mm. So I do have a lot of love because I know that medical doctors, like I don't know poo-poo on medical. I have many friends. I have many students who are who are doctors in my program and they get into medicine for the same reason that I got in as well is to help people. Like we want fundamentally every single physician who gets into it is because it's either, you know, because their parents made them or because they really, because they really want to help people. Okay. So that's for my Brown. That's for all the, the that's for all the, right? yeah, yeah. The, the immigrant, the immigrant <laughs> yeah. story kids yeah. in the house. Exactly. I mean, but well, and, and you're doing it. And I think that's why, you know, this certification that you have, I mean, thank God. I remember that we were just talking, you know, quite a few years ago and you were like thinking about it and now it's finally here. So I'm so excited that it's here. And I here resisted because- it for a long, I resisted it because I had people like every week, like, would you mentor me? Like, have you come up with this working bot? Like, how do you have this protocol? Like, and I was like, you guys don't need me. Just, you know, just, just like do it. it. Just yeah. do it. You can figure it out. And then I just had enough, enough, enough. And then my partner was like, you know, maybe you should really consider putting together a course. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I have to blend my love of the brain with my love of like female-centric protocols. And then we also have some business building in there as well. So I've actually pulled Giovanni in. And so he talks about like how to market with integrity, how to Mm -hmm. sell with integrity. Because if you've ever, you know, if anyone's listening, if you've ever, you know, marketing sometimes can leave like a kind of a residue. Like there's a certain residue that's left when you think about marketing. And here's the thing, it's hard when you like are coming from a place of love and, you know, service. And that's what I talk about a lot in all of the companies that either, you know, we create, advise, and we also have a couple of coaching school certifications and all of the things. But what is so unique about what you're doing is this is so female centric and there is nothing that exists in this way from somebody like you who has the medical training yet also, you know, has merged your research and your own protocols around women-centric medicine. And let's just call it what it is. It's women-centric medicine because even the healing is different. And I know that you've, you know, involved the physical, the emotional, and now even the business 
But of course, it's no wonder that health professionals and health coaches are coming to you for this. So where can we learn more about that? And I know I'm going to link the book, The Betty Body, because it's amazing. But where can we learn more about your certifications and and watch you on IG? Sure. Yes. You can even just DM me if you're interested in the certification. And then I'll get either myself or my team. will. We're always launching cohorts. So depending on when you're hearing this, we might have just launched one or one might be coming up. So you can find me on Instagram. It's Dr. Stephanie Estima on Instagram. The Better Podcast is another place that you can check out a lot of my interviews with other thought leaders in the health space. I have my own solo episodes on there as well. And then the other place for you to look at uh, information on the Estima certification would be the website. So be Hello Betty dot club. So it's H-E-L-L-O-B-E-T-T-Y dot C-L-U-B. Oh, Dr. Stephanie. Such a pleasure, Queen. I loved I love this episode with you and so much juiciness. And I know it's going to be so valuable. Thank you for sharing your time with us today, babe. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. This is one that you definitely want to come back to over and over and over again. I think that I've definitely learned so much. And if you are curious to see us live in action, you could definitely check out the entire YouTube episode and get that visual of us together jamming it out. So go ahead and head over to YouTube, Nitha Bushin with Dr. Stephanie Estima. And if you're curious about following Dr. Stephanie Estima, she is Dr. Stephanie Estima on Instagram, as well as you can see all of her offerings at hellobetty.club. And that's hellobetty, B-E-T-T-Y dot club for all of her offerings, as well as everything that she is doing on her podcast, which is the Better Podcast with Dr. Stephanie Estima, everywhere where you get your podcasts. And I'm so, so excited for you to share this with a friend, with a colleague, with a family member, another bestie, one of your girlfriends, because it's always great when we are braving these conversations together. And if you loved this episode, I would so, so love if you can drop us a five-star review. That actually helps get the word out to more and more folks so that they can be brave in their lives, in their relationships, and everything in their health as well. And I will see you next time. Have an amazing day, amazing week, and amazing evening. And don't forget to be just a little bit more brave. Oh, 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 oh,